Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. We see here in this verse that God is blessing his work. We see the work that's taking place and it's being blessed. All the churches in these areas are growing, they're expanding. They're walking in the comfort of the spirit, the fear of, the fear of God, not the fear of man. And I believe this is one of the things, when we see this, this is an example in Scripture of what God had in mind for his church, right? That it's, it's strong and it's effective. I think one thing I want to point out quickly is that it's interesting that in the book of Acts, we hear nothing about the church in Galilee. But yet here in verse 31, it's mentioned. It's mentioned nowhere else in the book of Galilee. And so it's evident that God is at work in this verse, and he's been at work. However, if we were to read the whole chapter, if we were to read the rest of the book of Acts, even, this verse might seem out of place. Chapter 9 opens with a man by the name of Saul, and he tells, it tells us in verse 1 that he was breathing murderous threats. He was a man that at every corner, he took every opportunity to attack the church, and to destroy the church, to destroy those who were believing in Jesus. That was his mission in life. And yet, at the, by the end of the chapter, Saul is changed and he's transformed. God saves him. We can, if, if we study the Bible, we can read through the rest, of the, um, the rest of the New Testament knowing that God uses Paul to write many epistles. Um, he uses him in a great and mighty way. Some people would consider that Paul maybe. Um, is one of the greatest servants to ever roam this earth. But what's interesting is halfway through this chapter, chapter 9, the Jews actually tried to kill Paul twice. And so this chapter is a roller coaster, right? It starts with this man breathing murderous threats. He then gets saved. Halfway through, he's being, he's, he gets tried to kill twice. Um, and then... Then, as we can, if we were to continue reading on, we would see that, that God uses him. But again, it seems as if on every page or every other chapter in the book of Acts, if we were to read through the whole book, that the church is being attacked. That at every turn, it's trying to be put out by Satan. There's some persecution. We could read again in chapter 9, in the first few verses, that there was a great persecution that caused the church to spread out. Um, there's some imprisonment. We know Peter was imprisoned twice. Um, some stoning. Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. Yet here's this verse in the midst of all, midst of this all. Right? With all this difficulty, it says that their churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And I find this very encouraging. I think what I want to point out here is that difficulty often is the ground for which God strengthens and grows the church. If we were to read the whole book of Acts, the two of these always come in hand in hand. Growth and difficulty, they're always in the same soil. It's important to recognize while there's great difficulty, 
in the church, in the book of Acts, but even in the world today. If you're aware of what's going on in Afghanistan, if you're aware of what's going on in China, I'm sure if you were to talk to Dan, um, he would tell you of difficulties that are taking place in Tijuana. Maybe there's difficulties in your own life, in the church locally, but wherever, wherever there is difficulty, God is still at work, and he is shaping and molding his church. You know, Satan, again, Satan's aim is to get you to drop out, to slouch back, to live with this mindset or this thought of it's too hard, it's too much, I'm going to give up. But we can live with this, 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 this understanding that God is at work, that, that if he's continuing to work, we can push on, we can move forward and not throw in the towel. We get, us as the church, if we live with that mindset, we get to experience verse 31. As the church around the world is being persecuted, right? As the church in these areas are facing great difficulty, yet we see that it's also being strengthened and edified and built up. How many of you, so I want to, I'm going to make a statement. I want you guys to, to agree with me. Um, on this. Raise your hand if you agree with me that it's true that God loves the church. You guys agree that? God loves the church and he loves his people. We are significant to him. I love it. You kept your hand up longer. (laughs) It's true, right? If you don't know that, um, ask the Lord to show you that and help you to believe that, that he loves the church at large and he loves the individuals. It's true that we, but it's also true that as a church, we matter to the world, And maybe not in a sense where the world loves and values the church the way that God does, but that you and I, that the people of God are the carriers of hope. We we are the carriers of the hope. And oh, does this world need hope, right? Does this world need hope? We, We are the carriers of hope. And so where will the true life-changing love come from if the church doesn't give it to them? Where will they get hope and peace if the God of peace, right, if our God is the God of all peace, how will they receive that if we don't share that with them? With what's been going on in Afghanistan, Haiti, our brothers and sisters, they need us. Suicide rates are on the rise. Public schools are leeching lies into the minds of kids. And for me, it feels like every other day I hear of someone who... Um, passed away. I have a friend who someone, someone in their life passed away or someone who has cancer or someone who has some kind of illness. This just week I heard of um, one of the brothers that I was talking to recently. His, um, his mother fell down the stairs and she's really hurt. And so the, the world needs us. Our brothers and sisters needs, needs us. And God has given us an opportunity to love people in, in our life, in our community, right, unconditionally. He gives us the opportunity to endure all things with them. And so we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 13 through 16. Do you want to go ahead and turn there? Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And I say, I'm going to say one more thing before I start reading. And this kind of is going to segue into this, this passage. But the, the church has a high calling. 
the people of God have a high calling. I'm not sure if you recognize that or believe that, but the church of God has a high calling. See, the church isn't just another community. It's not just another self-help group or a human, human, hum, excuse me, humanitarian organization focused on making the world a better place. Right? We were not born into this world just to make it a better place. God has given us a high calling. The word church is actually used 74 times in the book in the New King in the New King James Version. In the NLT, it's used 110 times. And that word, that word is in the Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia. And from EK, we get out of, and Klesias, we get a calling. And so combined, the word really means called out ones or to be called out. And this, this word was actually used by the Greeks for a body of citizens who would take time to attend to matters of government. They would come out of their normal living, their daily living, and go into and to attend the matters of government. And so when this word is used in the church, the idea here is that we are called out. We are called out and have been called to attend to the matters of God's government and to the kingdom of Jesus out of our normal and daily living. He has chosen us. He has brought us out. Again, that idea of called out ones, that we have been called out by God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. See, if you are part of the church, you have a high calling in your life. Your role is significant and it matters to God. Your role is significant and it matters to God. For some of you, that's very hard to believe. For some of you, you don't. You hear that and you think, no, that can't be me. You hear that and you think, I got, I got too many problems in my life. I got too many issues in my life. But God has positioned you and fashioned you to fulfill a certain calling. It's easy to say. It's easy to find ourselves in this place and not uncommon that we discredit ourselves or we discredit what God has called us to do or where he has us. We often want these big impacts in our service, right? We think, I got to do something big and something visible, something that everyone's going to see and everyone's going to take notice of. We begin to look at other ministries. If you have a phone, not a flip phone, but a, a, a smartphone, you look on social media and you start to look at all the other ministries and the stories and the you know, the pictures that people take, and you start to think, man, what, why isn't God doing that in my life? We conclude, we then start to conclude that our work, work is worthless or unimportant. But God has called all of his people special and chosen, chosen. And I want you guys to really hear this, that your service and your work matters. You may not be attached to a ministry or have a role in a ministry, but if you are serving God in any capacity, your work and your service matters. I think of, I asked if I could share this with them, but I think of my mother-in-law who spends time ministering to those who have had miscarriages. She isn't here for every service. She doesn't serve in every ministry possible, but there are these women and these families who are hurting and broken, and they need someone that can 
give them patience and compassion and comfort. And I'm, my mother-in-law is one of the most compassionate, nurturing people that I've ever met. And so God uses her in a way that really is important for these broken and hurting families. I think of my own mom, who's been spending time at um, some apartment complexes just up the street. And she's been tutoring kids there because their parents don't speak English. She's been tutoring them. And just this last week, she shared with me how one of the students she's been tutoring, their parents have started coming to church on the weekend. They're not believers yet, but they've started coming to church. Those things aren't all all over social media. Most of you guys may not even know about those things. But if they were to neglect those things, they would miss out on the people that need the love and and the, the love and the compassion of God. And so don't discredit or diminish the work and the place God has you. Being a part of the church is a high calling. And anytime you are working or serving with people, that is the highest calling you can have. And that's what, that's what I believe we see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So now we're going to get into it. It says this, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. Jesus here is talking to the disciples and the multitudes. And we can conclude that from verse 1 in chapter 5. But he says two things that communicate the importance and the significance of the church, of the people of God. The first thing that he says, he says, you are the salt of the earth. During this time, salt was known as a very valued resource and commodity. It was so valuable to the Romans that they actually believed the only thing more valuable than the sun was salt. Roman soldiers were also paid with salt for their work and their duty. Salt was precious and extremely significant to the livelihood of people in that day. Salt is also known as something that's aseptic. Not antiseptic, but aseptic, meaning it's free from contamination harmful bacteria. So basically, salt prevents infection. It cannot cure, but it can stop the spread of infection. And so during this time, salt was used for preservation of foods. It could hold the the quality of a product for a very sustained period of time. A few more things about salt I want to share with you. Salt was also used to bind covenants in the Old Testament. Numbers 18, chapter 18, verse 19 says, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as a perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. We also see in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Don't you know what the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants? forever by a covenant of salt. One more example, um, salt was used as offerings in the Old Testament. And whenever there was a sacrifice and offering, offering, certain offerings required salt. Um, Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 says, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of your covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. 
And so salt was important because it, it spoke of purity. It spoke of preservation. It spoke of expense. At every sacrifice, not every sacrifice, but at certain sacrifices, God required them to bring salt. Why? Because it needed to be pure. It needed to be something that was costly. And so those listening to Jesus, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, they understood the significance and the value of what it meant to be salt. They understood the value of salt on earth that day. And so they, they were able to conclude that their role and their place in the world mattered, that it was crucial. So the second thing that he says, he says, is you are the light of the world. And the thing about light is it brings light, right? Wherever there is, wherever there is darkness, it, it allows us to see. I was actually here last night and I was rehearsing a little bit on the stage. And so when I came into the, the, um, the room, all the lights were off and I had to pull up my phone in order to see where I was going. And if I did not have my phone, I would have ran into the chairs and not been able to get on the stage and it would have been a mess. But if there's no light, how can people see? That's a very basic thing. But spiritually speaking, if there's no light, how can people see? If there is no light, who will show them the way? Who will, who will fight against the darkness? Jesus actually calls himself the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. And so when he calls himself the light of the world, and yet he tells us, the people of God, that we are the light of the world, that is significant. That is special and important. No one else is called the light of the world but Jesus in the church. Isaiah 5.20 says, says, those who call evil good and good evil are good as dead and who turn darkness into light and light into darkness, who turn bitter into sweet and sweet into bitter. Light represents truth, morality, and hope, and darkness speaks of sin and hopelessness and confusion. See, followers of Jesus are light because they've been changed and transformed, no longer walking in darkness. These changes are significant, making believers shine, like a city on a hill, which lightens the sky for hundreds of miles. The light of believers cannot be hidden. And when the world is calling good evil and evil good, calling darkness light, the church is the light, and we shine the way. We shine the way to truth and to hope. And so Jesus makes it clear that there's a distinction between the church and the world. The church is unique. It's set apart. Again, just as we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 9, he says, um, you've been called out of the world in order to proclaim his marvelous works. So the church is, is unique, it's distinct, and it's been made to proclaim the love of God and to point others to him. I want you guys to notice here, however, Jesus does not challenge his listeners. He does not give them some great TED talk. He does not give them a motivational speech. He does not have his hype man, John the Baptist, come up and do something to get them all pumped up. He says, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is who I made you to be. However, he does warn them. He says, if you lose your flavor, if you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing. He also says in verse, um, verse 14, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one turns, a, turns on a lamp and then covers it up. You know, if you grew up, in the church, you probably learned that song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Anybody remember that? 
That was like one of the like number one hits when I was growing up at my church. <laughs> but sometimes we take on the darkness. We take on the world, and it causes our light to become dim. We, and when we lose our saltiness, we lose what makes the church the church. If we get caught up in the wrong things, we lose our effectiveness, and we lose the power and the influence that God has given us to this world. We all agree that, that God loves the church, but I think we could all agree that, 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 um, excuse me, that the world needs the church. And so for us, we need to live in such a way where we use the influence and the power God has given us. And that's what he says in verse 16. He says, let your light, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The thing about a, um, a calling, if remember, if you recall, I said that the church has a high calling. When it comes to our calling, it is about who we are before what we do. It is about who we are before what we do. In the Greek, the word for good works here isn't necessarily works or activities, but it actually speaks to the manner in which you live, the manner in which you live. So it's not necessarily the things you do, but how you do them. How do you live? So you make an impact on the world. You glorify God based on how you live and who you are. I've worked for Chick-fil-A for 10 years, and the first owner that I worked for, um, he had all these leadership sayings and quotes that he would put in his office and rotate and take some up, put some down. But there was always one that always remained, and it was this. Sorry, let me backtrack. On, on this quote, there was a picture of a rocking horse. And it was, again, a picture of a rocking horse. And in print, right underneath, right underneath that picture, it said, don't confuse activity with progress. Because right? what do rocking horses do? They make a bunch of motion. They move around a, bo- a lot, but they're not going anywhere. I remember as a little kid, right, always wanting to ride that rocking, that electronic chair in King Supers for a penny. Um, and so, but rocking horses don't go anywhere. For me, seeing that sign, I wanted to be someone who was making progress as a leader in the business, um, as a servant, but also as a follower of Jesus. I took a lot of stock in that, in that quote. I think for us as believers, we don't want to substitute activity with progress. We don't want to substitute activity with progress. See, a bunch of activity attending tons of gatherings involved in many ministries doesn't, doesn't necessarily equate to us glorifying God. Even serving in ministry can become just an activity if it becomes aimless or distracting. We know that because Jesus told that to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 42. He said, you are distracted by many things. Again, the point here is it's who we are. It's how we live that ultimately counts. And, this, and, and when I say that, who we are really dictates how we live, right? Jesus says, out of the out of the mouth, the abundance of the heart speaks. And so who we are is going to be revealed. Recently, I've been taking our team through first, um, our leadership team, the young adult leadership team, through First Timothy chapter 3 about leaders in the church, overseers, servants. And what makes a good servant? What makes a godly servant? What, what is 
God desire in his servants. And in this chapter, Paul doesn't talk about what they do. He doesn't talk about the different levels of leadership. He doesn't talk about their titles. He says they should be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not violent, not greedy. I could go on and on. But all the things he talks about here, they describe who someone is. They speak to their character. And that's what's important as we serve the Lord, as we serve the communities that we're in. The effective, that inner man, that inner woman, that character is what matters most. In his book on being a servant, Warren Wiersbe says, we must heed the memorable words written by Robert Murray McShane to the Reverend Dan Edwards on October 2nd, 1840, after his ordination as a missionary to the Jews. He says this, and I want you to lean in when I, when I read this, because I think this is really important. He says, I trust you will have a pleasant and profitable time in Germany. I know you will apply hard to learn German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man, I mean of the heart, how diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you, you are God's sword. You are his instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name in great measure. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talent that God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. It is not great talents that God blesses, but, but so much as great likeness to Jesus. Again, who you are impacts what you do. So we can, we, can, we can get so caught up in what we are doing that we forget who we are. We forget who God has called us to be. We forget who he desires us to be and who he's making us to be. We can do all these great things, but if we do it in a way where it's grumbling or complaining with bitterness, maybe seeking self-approval, God does not desire that. That is not what's best for us. We can do these things outwardly, but, but we're just tearing down others because of the manner in which we do them. See, God wants us to be the church, not just come to church, talk about church, sign up for events. We love, we love to post Instagram stories. At least my generation loves to post Instagram stories. We love to post the worship from Sunday morning the verse of the day that you get. Um, those things are good, but do we actually obey the verse? Do we actually worship in truth and in spirit, like Pastor Ian shared with us last weekend? And I think reading through the book of Acts, if we're honest, the first church, the church that God established in the books of A- book of Acts, looks quite a bit different than the church does today. And I want to give you one example that really ties into who we are as people. And so this is Acts chapter 9, verse 2. You're welcome to turn there if you like. But Acts chapter 9, verse 2. And it says, And they asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the early church here is referred to as the way. Again, that's in in verse 2 of chapter 9. He says, So that if any belonging to the way. 
but also they refer to that in chapter 19, chapter 22, and chapter 24. The people, the church here was known as the way of, they were, excuse me, they were known as people of the way. They were known for who they were. This most likely comes from when Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. This is where that comes from. But the church here wasn't known by what they did, but by who they were. They were followers of the way. And the application for us is when we live our lives out in the world, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your cubicle, what are you known for? How do people know you? See, the world looks on and they can see us. They know, they know what we're about. We think that we can fool them. We might be able to hide things for a bit. But even the world can tell who we are. Right? They know our character. They know the things that we talk about. They know the things that we're into. They see who we are. There's no fooling him, fooling them. I think some, some bad examples might be, are we known for our political views? Right? Is that the, the thing that dominates our life? Are we known for talking about the state of the world because we need to convince every person we talk to what's right and what's wrong? Or maybe even our opinions on the pandemic. We feel like we need to tell others what they should do or what they shouldn't do. Maybe it's being known for churches that we disagree with or what pastors we like or we don't like. Maybe it's you've been hurt, you have this pain inside, and you feel like your only outlet is to share all over social media by justifying your point of view or talking badly about this other person. God does not desire division. He doesn't want us to be critical of our, of our fellow believers. You know, the churches that you go to, the, the church that you go to or you don't go to, the church that you agree with or you don't agree with, Jesus actually tells us that a house divided will not stand. And if the world looks on and sees this, right, they see division, they're not, they're not going to want any part of that. They have enough of their own problems, enough of their own drama. Why are they going to want our drama as well? if we're known for, for divisiveness and, and biting and devouring each other. And Jesus actually, um, speaking, to the, speaking to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, um, there are seven churches that he speaks to, and out of the seven, five of them, Jesus had something against them. He says, you know, for us, I think about that, and those aren't very good odds, right? Five of the seven churches, Jesus had a very, very harsh word for them. There were five specific things about those churches that needed to change. And the question for us is what needs to change about who we are? The church, the church does not become more effective if the individuals don't change. The individuals make up the church. Or maybe it's the other side. Maybe it's known for some really good things. Maybe you're known as someone who's loving and kind and patient. Maybe your coworker tells a story about, maybe they'll, they'll say, I was really mean to that person. I gossiped about them. I talked about them. I, I worked really hard so they couldn't get that promotion. I told the, bo- I told the boss a bunch of lies so they get the, couldn't get that promotion. But yet here they are. They're still talking to me. They forgave me. 
They're patient. They're kind. They're gracious. They come into work every day and they say hi to me. I can tell that they genuinely care about me. See, the political climate, it's going to change and it's going to continue to change as long as the world exists. But the love of God, the word of God, that's what remains and truly offers people hope. Your job will change, your dreams and your passions may change, but the love of God, right, the word of God, that remains and truly gives people hope. And so what are we known for? First, for not first John, the gospel of John chapter 13, verse 35 says this. It says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, if the world is going to look at us and see what it should see, right? If, if they're going to see what Jesus tells us we are, one of the things that it should see is love. We should be known by our love for God and for others. We shouldn't just talk about it or people think that we go to church and they see that. But does our life actually exude and speak love to others? The way we treat them, extending forgiveness, being willing to lose and not always make our point. We actually, if we were to read through, read through 1 Corinthians 13, it actually describes love as, as willing to be wronged. You know, for many of us, it's hard for us to lose in life. And I would, for me, I would say that's the case. The truth is that I love to win. <laughs> I'm a very competitive person. If you want to go talk to my family, they're over here on the right. <laughs> you can go talk to them, some of, the, some of the servants over there. I love to win. My wife, on the other hand, she loves to see others win. Most recently, we were playing, um, playing outside two, two months ago, I think. We were playing Capture the Flag, and it was on a Friday night after Young Adults. Um, and the game was taking forever, and nobody was winning because we made the rules really hard. And so we changed the rules a, a little bit. And at one point, we were going to quit. But I was like, man, I really want I didn't tell anybody this, but I was like, I really want to win. So we can't quit until I win. <laughs> um, and eventually, we won. My team won. Um, and I remember that moment where I grabbed the flag, and I'm like running, and my wife's like, is that the flag? <laughs> like, she's wondering if that's, you know, who that is with the flag. Um, but afterwards, we started talking about it, and she, she's like, Tucker, I would rather, I'm, she says, I'm happier that you won than if I would have won or if my team won. And I was like, man, like, that's love, right? Like, it's a little silly, but it's love, right? The struggle is, we don't always let others win. We have a problem, and it bleeds, it bleeds into our relationships sometimes. We can't be wrong. We have to win at everything. We have to make our point known. We have to have the last word, right? And sometimes that's at the expense of others. Yet Paul warns in the church in Ephesus, he says, in doing this, you're, you're devouring and biting one another. See, tr true love is death to self. Our ways, our wants. And this is one of the things we should be known for. Again, the early church, they were known for being of the way. And so consider in your own life, what are you known for? And one of the reasons that uh, Timothy 
or that Paul in 1 Timothy 3 tells, he tells Timothy, he says, these are, these are the characteristics that define a good servant of God. And he ends with, what is their reputation in the world? Right? What is their reputation in the world? Because it'd be easy to live differently in the church than outside of the church. It'd be easy to be known for one thing in the church when outside the church, like, we're known as somebody who is grumpy all the time or somebody who whines and complains or someone who's rude, someone who talks trash. And that closes the door for us to minister that, that removes the light that God has put inside of us. I want to share this one last thing about love. Um, just as I was thinking even today, I think sometimes we use, we use, in lieu of love, we use the definition of nice. We think, oh, if I'm just nice, that's good enough. I'm just nice to that person. And so we walk, we say, oh, I smiled at them and I waved at them. And that's my Christian duty. But the reality is that love is deeper than that. It goes farther than that. Love engages. Right? Love goes to people where they are at, as they are, and it meets them. It goes to them where they are, as they are, and it meets them. And isn't that what Jesus did? He left every right and every privilege he had in heaven. He left his royal throne in heaven to come and to seek us. He sought us out. See, love doesn't wait around. It goes after the world. Love goes after the people. It goes after the community. So maybe there are people in your life that need love and support that you need to turn your attention to. Maybe you have family or, or friends who they left the church during the pandemic. Maybe they turned away from the Lord during the pandemic. Maybe there's people in the community that you live in are really struggling. And the encouragement, my encouragement to you is don't cut them off because of their sinful decisions. Jesus walked with people, right? He walked with them, not approving of their sin, but enduring the difficulty with them and wanting to draw them out of that. He was patient and kind with them. And so love them, keep them close. I think Emily and Josiah, you guys can start coming back up. God, guys, God has given us an opportunity as the world is facing great difficulty today. Maybe you have things in your own life or things in your family God has set before us an open door. He's set before us an open door as his church. He's made us distinct. He made us special. He's equipped us. And so let's be who God wants us to be so we can keep those avenues, so we can keep those doors open. And if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and if you haven't heard before that he, he has come, that he came from heaven and he sought us out as, as humans. He sought us out and then he died on the cross that we might have forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and we repent of our sin, that Jesus comes into our heart and we have everlasting life, we get to be with Jesus forever. And so if you are in a place where you don't have that relationship, I wanna encourage you to come up afterwards. Um, there'll be people up here, pastors and servants, up on the stage here. And so don't leave tonight if that's you. 
And I think I just want to end with this. Um, something I've been learning in my own life and really trying to encourage the team and the young adults um, in our ministry. And it goes with what, what I shared tonight, but it's this idea that, that you matter to God, but who you are also matters. Who you are matters. Who you are is going to allow you to minister to people effectively. If you, can, if you have this assurance that God loves you and he cares for you, then your identity is secure in him and you're found in him and then you can move forward in the power of God and love people. You know, again, it's not just these great magnificent things of like people seeing the visible work that you're doing, but maybe there's just family members in your life that need love. You need to call them. You need to go have lunch with them. Maybe there's someone you haven't talked to in a while that used to be your best friend. You need to reach out to them. God, God desires to use us as his church. And so, God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time. I thank you for the songs that you even shared with that um, Emily and, and Josiah shared with us before. Um, and so I just, I pray God that you would help us as your church Help us to truly be your church. God, help us to truly be your church. Make us the men and the women that you want us to be. Lord, help us to, to not hide or have this, this facade up, pretending to be somebody we're not, but really allowing you to work in, in, in us. If there's insecurity, if there's um, sin has messed us up, has jacked us up, God, that you would come in and you would heal us and restore us. And so make us the church, Lord, and make us the church that you want us to be. Help us to, to live and to move forward with power and with effectiveness, God. You desire to use us, and I pray that we would do everything that we can do to be in that place of being used by you. So bless this church, bless this community. It's in Jesus' name I pray. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.